This episode of the Filmmaker Mixer podcast is sponsored by Reed's Cleaners in Austin, Texas. We launder everything but money. This episode is also sponsored by Piers Henry Headshots, shining the spotlight on you. Welcome to the Filmmaker Mixer podcast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined alongside my co-host, Jeff, as always. Today, we have on a very exciting guest who's gearing up to do a one-woman show soon. That is Katie Folger. Katie talks about her career in acting, her mentorship with Robert Redford, and she talks about the upcoming premiere of her one-woman show, Getting in Bed with the Pizza Man, which opens this week. Hello, everybody. This is the Filmmaker Mixer podcast, and tonight we are chatting with the lovely and talented Katie Folger. Katie is an actress, a writer, a comedian based here in Austin, Texas, and she is gearing up for the long-awaited Austin premiere of her one-woman show, Getting in Bed with the Pizza Man, which runs May 4th through May 13th. So, Katie, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm really excited to reconnect with you, Jeff, and uh, happy to to chat with you as well, Andrew. Uh, happy to to come in in such a exciting time and moment in my life. It is exciting. It is. It really is. And uh, you know, typically, Andrew and I like to do a deep dive into what inspired you to become an actress. You know, your process of interpreting a character and so forth. And we will get to that later in the show. We definitely want to talk about that. But you've got a one-woman show opening this week, so yeah. let's just jump straight in. So what is getting in bed with the pizza man? <laughs> well, um, I suppose the logline is it's a, it's a one-woman comedy about um, the perils and thrills of sex and singledom during uh, the COVID-19 era. I also like to describe it as a jump down a rabbit hole of beginner sexual empowerment. Um, and this is my first... This is my debut playwriting work. I've written and, and made um, some film projects and comedic projects in the past, but uh, this one started as a short story, actually, that I wrote in the summer of 2021, and then it evolved and, and snowballed. You know, it's one thing to have an idea for a one-woman show, but it's another thing to actually get it physically done. We'd love <laughs> to know, like, how, you know how you found your director, your crew, and how you funded the whole thing through Kickstarter. Yeah, it's it's been quite the journey. Um, you know, I so so kind of the way it all started was um, I so I've been writing prose for years. It's actually my favorite um, style of writing is uh, fiction writing, and I started getting this affinity for memoir style fiction writing after reading some books um, that I really liked in the summer of 2021. And then I started kind of dabbling with um, first person narrative and it just I this piece came out of me after reflecting on some things that had happened in my life and I really liked it. I was like, I think this is I think this is cool. And uh, I showed it to one of my friends because I've, I've always been pretty shy about my my prose writing because it's very personal. And I showed it to one of my best friends, who's um, another actress, Olivia Applegate, and showed it to her. And she was like, hey, Katie, like, I know you've always wanted to put on a one woman show. I think this could be a really interesting show. And I was like, it was like a light bulb moment. I was like, huh. And then I got very curious and I, I had just played this role in a movie that the character that hasn't come out yet, actually, but it was a feature and. The character was this very bold, kind of like fierce and ferocious woman, also like a kind of um, sexually deviant, I would say. So I just like tapped into this energy and I was like, you know what? Screw it. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna read this this short in front of some people. So I invited some people over into uh, I turned my backyard into a theater for a night, and I invited like twenty I invited like twenty five uh, of my friends and some colleagues, collaborators, also some people I didn't know that well because for me as the writer, I'm like I'm not just gonna invite people that are just gonna like be like great job, Katie, five stars. Well, <laughs> I invited some people over that intimidated me um what some of the filmmakers that i hadn't worked with yet in austin directors i invited um an actor over from love and death who was working on it with my friend olivia tom pelfrey who's won emmys and i was like you know what i'm gonna do this and so i read the i read it and i didn't even know it was a comedy at the time i just kind of i read it and people laughed the whole time and i was like okay i guess this is a comedy and uh, and then from there, you know, everybody basically came up to me and was like, you have to do something with this. Like what? This is ba they're like, this is like you must. Um, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. And I, I kind of got too scared to put it out for for a number of personal reasons for about seven months. And then when when the then that passed and I just I got the confidence to do it again and I read it for another group because I, I was like dusting the cobwebs off. It had been a while. I read it for a, a group of women in my bedroom in September 2021. And then basically from there, the I would say like the real momentum started gathering. I sent it to some uh, creatives and collaborators and, and people were really enthusiastic about the work. And we shot an immersive living room shoot of the show in December 2021. Sorry, no, yeah, 2022, so pretty recently. And and then, yeah, we launched the Kickstarter and raised the funds and, you know, gathered a lot of enthusiasm from the community. And basically, once we raised that money, it was straight into production and pre-production. And yeah, so it's been a, it has been a ride. Um, and, and really, I would say empowering and exciting. A lot of hard work learning a lot as I go but I'd say like for a first um go round at a one-woman show I think it's all things considered it's going pretty well so I'm curious you, was it the short story you were reading to your friends yeah so it was um yeah it was just the story uh, which was written in the first person narrative and I read that it was just kind of like a like a reading and um yeah and then so yeah go ahead oh so so what was the process of taking the short story and then adapting it uh, for the theater was that was that an easy process was it a difficult process did you have to let things go add new things how did that work oh yeah I mean the story well so like the perf the version that I'm performing um coming up um the one that I'm doing for the Austin premiere I would say like I would say is maybe 80 percent of the original story, maybe 75. Um, part of the fun of the piece is that at times the language becomes quite heightened and even like beautiful and poetic, but it's spoken like it's just a normal thing that I'm saying. But I don't, you know, I'm not uh, oppressing audiences with too overly flowery language for 60 minutes. Um, I think part of the fun of the piece is that it toggles between like really beautiful language and then it just has like very everyday normal speech. Um, colloquial speech and even um, I would say <laughs> uh, racy speech as well <laughs> but um, yeah so you know I think I 
It's interesting because I think this is a really, really great question because when I had done it the first couple times, it felt, I just was kind of reading it. And in my mind, I, you know, I was just kind of, it, it wasn't stand up, but I was kind of still seeing it as this just kind of like spoken piece. And then as I've been rehearsing with my director, who is a very, very seasoned theater director. I mean, he is theater. I am, I've mostly been doing on camera work for the last 12 years, aside from some live performances live comedic performances and sketch groups in New York and and improv stuff in Austin. But largely I've been on camera. So as we've been going through this rehearsal process for the last month, I have personally, as the artist who wrote this, I have been blown away at how theatrical the thing is that I actually wrote. Like, this is not just a, we're not just doing a stand-up show. Like, this is a straight up, one woman show it is a play it is theatricalized and it's become something that i did not expect it to be which has been so much fun um but yeah because of that because of the sort of new reality or or the fact that my director is extracting new things out of the work i have had to adjust the text in order to meet meet that heightened uh mode of of storytelling that we're presenting so yeah, like the re the rewrites have been going through rehearsal. Like I think interesting, of, interesting. Yeah, as of last night. I mean, we're still making discoveries because it's like, you know, I'm the writer, I'm also the performer, so I have the luxury of like if we work something and we're like something's missing here. We need a line here. We need a or this maybe this doesn't work. I get to change it. Um so it's been a very like um in real time editing generative uh, process. It's been very, very cool, very difficult, but very cool. You know, putting on a one woman show for, I think you said 60 minutes, you know, must take a lot of talent and confidence in your training, um, which makes me want to pivot a little to talk about your training. I know you trained in improv under Amy Poehler at Upright Citizens Brigade. That must have been an incredible experience. What did you learn from her? And, you know, what have you taken from her moving forward? Yeah, so I trained I trained at UCB in New York for I think the I lived in New York for a year. This was right before the pandemic and was expecting to live in New York for a very long time and then the pandemic happened. Changed some plans obviously. Um but yeah, I studied sketch and improv at UCB in New York and it was amazing and there was this private workshop that came up um that it was like only 120 spots. It was like a three or four hour workshop with Amy. And I freaked out because I'm like, Amy is one of my career heroes, um, not just because of her obvious talent, but because she just seems to do good things with her with her um, with her stature. And she cr seems to create other lovely opportunities um, for different people. She just doesn't seem to be someone that's driven by ego, which I find to be really refreshing in this industry specifically. And so I like, it sold out very immediately. And I, I was like refreshing, refreshing constantly. And I, I was like, I wrote UCB to try to get in. And it was it was a stroke of miracle. Like somehow a ticket showed up one one day when I was like refreshing, refreshing, and then I got to go. And I naturally got there early. I waited, you know, 30 minutes before they opened. I was front and center. <laughs> I, I was like, you know what? 
I am going to be there. I'm going to be engaged. And anyways, so I, I don't know. I, I think I learned, I learned so much from Amy. Um, one, one of my favorite things about that and that experience was that um, she was like an hour late because of traffic in New York. And so we were all like waiting, waiting, and nobody cared because like we're like, we'll wait as long as you want, Amy Bowler. <laughs> <laughs> and she showed up completely out of breath. She had sprinted because there was some terrible traffic as as happens in New York sometimes. Apparently she had sprinted like 18 blocks to oh, get wow. the workshop, which shows so much about like to me how much she cares about like um, bestowing knowledge and wisdom on the next generation. And then, but yeah, like a big thing with her that she stressed, which for me as an artist, like really, really resonates is she just stressed how comedy at the end of the day, it's not about trying to make people laugh. It's about just trying, it's about just responding honestly in the moment. And if people laugh, they laugh. If they don't laugh, they don't laugh. Um, and so like as a comedian, your goal should never be to just make people laugh. And so when she was taking us, like I actually got to get up on stage and she did get to direct me in um, a scene and stuff. And that was incredible. But her major thing was just like everybody would do it. They're like improvised scene. And then she would tell us to like do it again in a way that was like as don't try to be big. Don't try to be silly, but do it as genuinely as possible. So that was her like major thing and um yeah I would say that was the like she just I think yeah it's that and then also she just seems like such a lovely person and that she hasn't allowed her own success to steer her off course from who she really is and at least for me that's that's very important to me um as a as a creator and as a human being so That's interesting is is there going to be any improv in Pizza Man? Um, so I love improv. It's like one of my favorite things to do on camera and off, you know, I, I, there, there will absolutely be moments that like, cause, cause, uh, well, okay. How did I say this? My director, he's pretty like traditional. His name's Matrix Kilgore. He's like a pretty traditional theater director. And he's like, Hey, I love that you love improv. I love that you're good at it. We're going to rehearse and nail down the actual show. And we're right. going to rehearse that version and like the same thing over and over again so that you have the foundation for sure that if you want to start kind of veering off for a small moment, you can do that. But he's been very, very like very that's been important to him. And I, I think I think that's a really that's been a great thing for me to adapt to because on camera you get the luxury of doing something over and over and over again if you don't nail it. But in live theater, you gotta nail it. <laughs> like, right. you have to be able to repeat it over and over and over again so there is a little bit more structure with the technique. But that being said, like, this is my text and that I wrote. And so there are little tweaks. Like, while I'm performing it, literally every single time I come up with, like, a new idea or a new way to say something and I'll say it a little different. But for the most part, yeah, there'll be little moments that are slightly different every night, but we do have a a repeatable show on our hands. And so ha having that strong structure allows me as the artist to to play even more, you know. Well, let's rewind a bit uh, back to when you were younger. Um, as I said at the beginning of the show, we like to find out 
what inspires our guests to get into the fields that, that they're in. Um, when did you get interested in acting? Was it when you were a kid, a child, a teenager? How did that start for you? What was the spark? Yeah, so uh, so a number of different things. My parents put my sister and I in dance classes from the age of two. So I've been on stage since I was two years old. And, uh, <laughs> and so, but I was primarily a dancer. And then like second to the dancer, I was a singer. Uh, we were like in dance groups growing up. My sister and I, we would sing at like Six Flags. It was hysterical. So like, <laughs> like little children performers, which is so funny. Like we have the funniest videos and, and pictures from that. And then also my parents, my parents love musicals and they love plays. They were not performers or artists necessarily. Like they were, they're not creatives really. Uh, my parents are hilarious, but they're not, they're not creatives. And, but they loved plays and they actually, my parents met in Chicago and I think one of their first dates, they went to Second City, which I think is really interesting. And just like thinking about my own DNA and, uh, and so yeah, and so they took us to musicals growing up. So the funny thing is, like, my mom tells me at the age of, like, three or four, she took me to one of my first musicals, and I would just cry because all I wanted to do was be on stage. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And so there was always something in me that, like, I was a performer, always, and... I always had this idea that I wanted to be an actor also from a very young age, but I wasn't involved. My parents didn't get us involved in theater or anything like that. We were, cause like I said, we were dancing, but I think most of my interest in like when I was a kid of becoming an actor was more so about like, <laughs> like my mom used to have a subscription to people magazine and I would like <laughs> look, mm-hmm, I would look at actors and think they were cool and and now being in the industry like i know that all of that is just smoke and mirrors obviously but like as a kid i didn't know and so yeah there's like a funny story where like when i was 10 i asked my mom um i said all i want for my birthday is an agent (laughs) oh that's that's awesome yeah and my mom said sweetie I love that you're interested in acting, but me and your father feel really strongly about you having a normal life. And if that's something that you want to do when you turn 18, you can do that. And so there's just like funny stories about my mom, like finding letters under my bed to Oprah about like boy problems. And she's like, (laughs) why, why are you writing Oprah like you can talk to me I'm your mom and I was like oh mom I'm not having boy problems I'm just trying to get on TV (laughs) well anyways long story short these are fun anecdotes so I am being a little like long (laughs) no that's fine I've actually never shared them in a public space so I was like you know what why not but um (laughs) (laughs) so then I started not enjoying like there was some neg I was on drill team in high school and there was some negativity and I ended up quitting and I had this idea I was like you know what I'm gonna try theater out like I've always had this instinct that I want to act and I'd never done it before and this is high school yeah this is high school okay gotcha yeah this is I think I was like 16 or 17 and so my junior year of high school I decided to try out for the play and I was not a theater kid and in fact, all the theater kids were like, they weren't super happy that I was going to try to be <laughs> um, an outsider. Yeah, I was an outsider. What, what was the play? What was, what was the play? 
the first play it was this really weird play um I don't even remember what it was about. It was like a new playwright's show. It was called Jill the Ripper. It was really dark. My high school theater director <laughs> oh, had a quite macabre sensibility. <laughs> we also did Richard the Third senior year. Like this guy was in <laughs> dark shows. Uh, yeah. But I, I basically, I made that. I like got cast in the show in my very first audition. And then it was all like, that is when it all started. Like, I found my people, the theater kids were like, oh, actually, yeah. And like those people are still some of my best friends to this day from high school theater. And um, I fell in love with it. It like totally opened up my worldview. Um, I was raised in like a pretty Christian and conservative type of community. And, and the theater kids were all the quote unquote weird kids. And that's like where I truly found myself um, with with the outsiders, so to speak. And yeah, and it all just kind of snowballed from there. We won one act play my senior year. We won state, which was a huge deal for 5A schools. And then I came to UT and I studied theater and started taking film classes, had a knack for it, got an agent, and then bada bing, bada boom. Wow. And was this uh, in in the high school experience, was this Texas? Or I think you said your parents were in Chicago. Where were you? Oh, yeah. So the high school experience was in Dallas, Fort Worth. Oh, Dallas. Okay. Okay. In, okay. In a city called Keller, Texas. Gotcha. And, yeah. And then I well, came to the theater at UT. Well, when did you decide to turn it into a career? Was that uh, during college or post-college? Or how did the, you know, um, when did it actually become like a real thing? Yeah, I would say it started getting real. So I started studying theater in school um, just because it like originally I started as a journalism student and then I ended up I was like they were like in journalism class telling us that objective truth was very important. And I was like, I have opinions. I was like, I don't want to write about objective truth. I want to write I want to write about my worldview. And so that's when I was like, I'm going back to theater. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to the arts. So I, yeah, I, um, I started taking a film acting class out of the urging of some people in my life that wasn't at UT. It was actually, it was with some casting directors in Austin, Brock and Alan casting. And I, it like clicked, like it, they were, my teachers were like very emphatic about my abilities on camera. And then they set me up with an agent and then I started submitting myself to films as well. Even before I had an agent, I like wanted to do movies. I wanted to try it out. And the first feature that I booked ended up winning the audience award at South by Southwest in 2013. Oh, wow. It's a movie called Zero Charisma. And then I also had another feature in the festival that year. Like my first two features I ever did were at South by and one of my first shorts also went to South by that year. So it was a big year for me. And it was the year where I think my name and my face and it, everything it like got out there in the community. And then from there, I just started booking a lot. Um, and then and it just kind of and then I had this like crazy experience where I like connected with Robert Redford during during school. And so there was just all these like serendipitous things that happened to me early in my career, which encouraged me to keep going. How did tell us about the Robert Redford uh, connection? What was that like? How did that happen? Yeah, yeah, this is a cool story too. So, um, I went. So I was a journal. I was a double major for a minute. I was a journalism student at UT, and then I was also a theater student at UT. And I was learning about the Watergate scandal in class, and then it just came out that Bob Woodward, Carl Bernstein, and Robert Redford 
um, we're all going to be doing a panel at UT, a private panel for theater or sorry, for film and journalism students. And so I was super excited, not about Robert Redford. Actually, I was like, I get to go see Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward who broke the Watergate scandal. <laughs> but I told my, cause I, at the time, and I, so I hate to say it, but I will be truthful here. I, at the time knew who Robert Redford was, but I did not know he started the Sundance Film Festival. I did not know that at the time. Right. Like mom and my grandmother and like, they were all like, oh my gosh, Robert Redford, you have to go. And I was like, okay. So I go and I, they open up the mic and I ask this question that basically was like kind of a, a mic drop moment unintentionally. I did not mean to do that, but I guess like the question really like landed in the room and all of them on the panel were like very jazzed about my question. It was basically this question about, I was like, in the journalism, film, and theater industries, all we want to do as artists and writers is like tell the truth and like innovate. And and I'm paraphrasing here, like what we what we come to these professions because we want to push the boundaries, right? But these are all really formidable industries when it comes to obtaining job stability. And like I was like, with the economic downturn, we just keep being pushed into creating things that can reliably produce a profit versus actually pushing the boundaries. So I was like, how do you guys recommend that we combat this as artists and writers, whatever. And so it was just this like kind of long winded, but like articulate question. And Bob, he like jumped on my, my answer and he like really loved it and responded to it anyway. So I had this idea like a month later because, oh, yeah, at the end of the panel, I, like, went up and I thanked him. And he was like, hey, keep doing what you're doing. The intersection between journalism and film is very important. Because I was a, I was doing both at the time. And then uh, I just had this off. I had this idea. I was like, I'm going to write him a letter. And I contacted the dean of my journalism school. I was like, I know that you guys can get in touch with him because you brought him here. So if you could pass along my letter to his secretary, that would be cool. So I just wrote this letter and then like a month, it was just on a whim. I've always been this person that just like, why not just try and see what happens? And then a month later, I checked my email. I was home from school over the summer and I had a email from his secretary saying that he received my letter and that Robert Redford would like to speak with me. <laughs> oh, wow. And so a couple of days later, I like got an unknown call and I didn't answer it because who answers unknown phone calls? And then I check my phone and I have a voicemail from Robert Redford. <laughs> wow. And it, long story long, um, it turned into a mentorship that I had with him for uh, basically, I would say like six years, seven years. And he like he took time to talk to me on the phone and ask me what I wanted to do. And he came to Austin a couple of times because his mother is buried somewhere around here. And he grew up here. He swam in Barton Springs and whatnot. And I didn't know that. Yeah, he. there's a documentary that I think he EP'd that's about the springs that I've never watched. But yeah, he, I guess, learned how to swim in Barton Springs. And... Um, yeah, so and we so we had dinner a few times, and he also made it possible for me in 2012 to go to the Sundance Labs, uh, just kind of as an observer. And really, like his main role in my life was to basically like 
I mean, I kind of think, I feel like he was sort of this like Dumbledore character where he just like <laughs> bestowed all this wisdom on me. And he basically encouraged me even more than just acting because he was like, I don't need to see you act. I know you can act. You're a genuine person because to him acting, you can be a good actor if you're a genuine person. He said, what I really want to hear is your voice. And so for me, that was like, it was like this wise owl, you know, being like, use your voice, write. And so that's when I, I mean, I've always loved writing, but that's when I really got, I would say, very, very sort of like as an artist wired around the desire to create my own work. Does your journalism background play a part in your performance when it comes to acting at all, at all whether it be the how you research roles or how you uh, study a script? Yeah, I think so. I think ultimately journalism, um, from my perspective, should be grounded by a spirit of curiosity and investigation. And so that's kind of, I would say, yeah, like that absolutely is a foundation for the way that I approach scripts and characters. And then, you know, to add something else upon um, you guys that I haven't mentioned, I also started getting a master's in mental health counseling over the course of the pandemic. So you know, that too, like just kind of seeing and approaching a character and a worldview from their mental health and their psyche, like that's also been a, a, a new tool that I have as well. So, but yes, to answer your question, absolutely. Absolutely. So that makes me curious when you look at a script and you read the character, you know, it's, it's, um, it's dialogue and it's screen direction and so forth. You have to take that character and turn it into something visual, whether it be you know, body language, tone of voice, you know, all of those things. So do you have a process when you're reading a script that you explore who this person is and how you you bring something to the character that maybe isn't in the script? Do you have a process for that? I do. Um, I would say, okay, where do I start? So I read a script. The first time I read a script, I just kind of take it in. I don't try to like... I don't try to approach it with this like super straightforward or like super rigid um, formula. You know, I just kind of like to let it seep in and see how it makes me feel and just see naturally where my imagination and my creativity goes. But then, yeah, like then I then I probably will do a second reading and I will start to make notes and ideas and um you know, what are my initial impressions? What I think that this character is experiencing in this moment? Um, what is, you know, what are the big beat changes? And then I do have a pretty reliable process um, for scene breakdown. I still use a worksheet that I was given in my acting two class in college, which has been from one of my teachers, Jeremy Cudd. And um, yeah, it's a scene breakdown worksheet. At this point, I kind of know it by heart <laughs> so like sometimes sometimes i don't even look at it anymore because i can just kind of answer the questions but yeah i break down the, the scenes like who is this character in this moment what are they thinking what are they feeling what's their objective what do they want from their scene partner how are they going to get it what are the tactics that you're using in order to get it um what are the obstacles in this scene and and then there's also like you know questions you can ask your like i ask from the worksheet about who the character is and you use your imagination to to round them out like 
the, you know, what's their class? What's their occupation? What's their education level? What's their strengths? What's their weaknesses? Just kind of to give yourself like a full picture. And I'd say like, I'd say it's something that I, something that I really am about presently as a performer is making sure that the character is a playable character that's interesting to me. So like, I will very frequently, if someone like casts me in a project, I will very frequently sort of assess the script in a way and the character in a way and build out a character that is, you know, that's interesting for me to play and exciting for me to play. So like, I'll challenge myself with certain things or like, if I'm currently processing something difficult in my life or like going through something personally, I'll, you know, see if there's a way that I can sort of flip that on its head and have that inform the character and, you know, things like that. So, and then, yeah, I like to like, I like to create playlists. Music is actually really helpful for me to tap into a tone of a piece. Um, that's something that I, I have a, you know, a playlist for my show because, and you know, it's not music I would actually necessarily use in the show. It's just kind of for me, like that using your five senses in order to like build out a 360 degree imaginary character, you know, person. So yeah, that that's a little bit of what I do. I know a big part of your career is advocating for more women-led projects uh, in the industry. And I'm curious, what are some of the projects you've liked or women in the industry that you think are trailblazing right now? I've said this a lot on the show already, but Booksmart by Olivia Wilde is still one of my most favorite movies to this day, along with just her directing career so far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, let me think about this. I mean, there are so many incredible women that are just kicking ass. I mean, Olivia Wilde's amazing. You know, Florence Pugh, I love her energy. I love what Amy Poehler's doing. I mean, I love Tilda Swinton. I love Viola Davis. Phoebe Waller-Bridge was a huge one for me. And at times, like, I feel like almost like self-conscious about citing her because it's so obvious. Like, of course, you're going to love Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She did a really successful one woman show and then adapted it to screen. And but yeah, she is a major influence for me um, just in the structure of, of this project. Uh, and her her piece was so unusual that um i mean it's so cool that you know it's won so many awards and so many people have gotten behind it i would say too like um i love like the one woman show itself to me is such like a it's such a it is a bold form and so like i'm actually i'm sitting at my desk and i'm looking at my desk and so like up by my desk i have the playbills from kate burlamp's kate and uh, What the Constitution Means to Me by Heidi Schreck. And those are two one-woman shows that played on bo- on Broadway. And and those are that's like such an inspiration to me. Women just writing and, and performing their own work is, is very interesting to me. And then, yeah, I love like I'm really inspired by women in comedy. Um, I... I, I'm, I don't, I, I'm going to bitch her how to say her last name, but Otsko is really amazing to me, the comedian, and uh, Margaret Cho, and, um, you know, Amy and Tina, and, and Maya Rudolph, like, all those people are, and they're just badass, like, they're just women that I think aren't afraid to say what they think, and, and I love that. To me, like, that, that is the most inspiring work for me to watch. Well, we don't want to let you go uh, without you telling people where they can get tickets to the show, your new one-woman show that's opening this week. How can they get tickets to it? 
Yeah. Um, so the tickets are available on my website, katiefolger.com. And there's like a little menu, you know, you click on the menu and then it'll say GBPM tickets, getting that with Beats Man tickets. And then you click and then it should take you to the platform and there you go. And uh, can they find you on social media? Are you like an Instagram, Facebook kind yeah. of person? Or Yeah, I'm an Instagram person, uh, at Katie Folger. That's my name. And my name is on Facebook as well. But it's probably more fun to follow me on Instagram. That's where I've, I'm the most engaged with um, with people on Instagram, I would say. Well, that's great. Well, congratulations on the new show. And everybody go out and get your tickets to Getting in Bed with the Pizza Man. The show plays May 4th through the 13th at Crashbox here in Austin. You know, Katie, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. And we wish you just the best of luck on the show. Break a leg this week. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I had a really nice time chatting with y'all. Thank you for listening to the Filmmaker Mixer Podcast, a podcast created and hosted by filmmakers Jeff Stolen and Andrew Lamping and produced by Jeff Weber. Our theme song was composed by the ever-vescent Stephen D. Bennett. Make sure to follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on and stay tuned for future episodes.